Hello there, it's Jamila Jamel. Take a deep breath. Let your breath out slowly to the count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do you feel better? Well, on my podcast, I Weigh, this month we'll be exploring ways to tackle mental health and feel better with guests like Simon Sinek from The Optimism Company, therapist Vienna Farron, comedian Neil Brennan, and many more. Listen to I Weigh wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi, friends. It's Sarah May, and this is Therapy 101. So it's an introduction to mental health healing practices because there are a lot of different kinds out there, and they're confusing. So it can be kind of intimidating um, or just depressing to, like, look into therapy, especially if you're not ready to look at your problems. So this is kind of like a – we're just going to go through – and explain the various kinds of therapy that are out there. And um, hopefully you'll be able to better choose one that meets your needs or just maybe find one that feels less scary. So today I'm, I have a guest. I'm talking to Dr. Sharon Flynn, PhD. Um, and she's going to be my expert. She's going to be my uh, explainer person because I have a list in front of me of all the different kinds of therapy. And some of them are acronyms, and I don't know what they are. So first of all, Sharon, thank you for chatting with me. Um, tell us just who you are as a therapist, kind of what what you practice or or what you focus on with people, like what topics. Hi, Sarah. Hi, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, friends. Um, I'm happy to be here. I understand what you're saying about uh, looking at all the different types of therapy being overwhelming. Um, And that's actually when you asked me to do this, I'm delighted to talk about this subject because um, it's really important that you know who's out there and what you're looking for and what the people with various degrees or credentials have and what they have to offer you. So um, in answer to your question, I am a psychologist, and I've been practicing for almost 24 years, almost 25. Um, And at this point in my career, I'm a psychodynamic uh, psychologist. Psycho what? (laughs) Psychodynamic. And that means that I like to, I think it's important to look into people's childhoods and understand, um, help you understand your childhood and not if you don't want to, mm-hmm. but if you're depending on what you present with, um, it usually ends up being really important to see how you grew up and establish relationships with your primary caregivers and your siblings to see how it relates to whatever it is that's bringing you into my office. Mm. For example, if you have a problem with a boyfriend or a, a coworker, um, most likely the way you interact has something to do with how you grew up. Oh, man, so true. I feel like every relationship is almost a re- re- like you've reset or repeated a similar relationship from early on. Exactly. In this weird, like playing dolls way, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Like, no, you're the dad and you're the. Um, so, what are, would you say, like kind of common areas of suffering in just like 
I guess, your average Joe? I would say anxiety and depression. And oftentimes it's difficult to um, figure out which, which one, which, which it is, because mm. sometimes they present almost the same. And trauma is a huge one, well, much to my surprise. When I, when I first w went to graduate school, I heard people starting to talk about the fact that almost 85% of the population has some kind of abuse or trauma history. Right. And I found it extremely difficult to believe. Uh, but in yeah. my experience, that's Me too. been true. I felt the same way. Two, two other common types of suffering, uh, people in relationships and being stuck in terms of how to negotiate or navigate their way through problems. And then the other one, I think, is loneliness. Suffer a lot from being lonely. Ah, made me sad just even thinking about it. Wait, so interesting. People that are stuck in, like, relationship fights? Oh, that's extremely common. Have the same fight over and over and over and struggle to move forward or get beyond it is extremely frustrating. Wow. I don't want to get derailed, but like, what do you, what's the, how do you deal with that? Or what's the like kind of broad approach with something like that? Big question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we might get derailed. Is it going to be like a case by case kind of thing? And actually, no. I mean, there's a way to think about it. Um, I have to go back to the family of origin and how you learned to negotiate conflict in your family or if you learn that at all. And if you saw your parents model conflict resolution or other people in your life model conflict resolution, mm -hmm. um, and then there's an unconscious process of what do you want to get out of this? Because, for example, you might have this argument every year where we, you know, we're going to have the Christmas at my house and you want to have it at your parents' house. And we always go to your parents, and why can't we go that way? And it just ends up being the same, the one person's house all the time, and they won't give in to the other person. Right. Where obviously we can say, hmm, that might not be fair. It doesn't seem fair. Right. But you have to explore what is going on with each person. Right. Especially the person who won't give um, to find out what's underneath all that. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and if somebody has, I almost was going to guess, like, people are actually modeling their previous, like, their almost caregivers, you know, problem-solving mechanisms. Or lack of. Yeah. That's exactly totally. what we do. It's fascinating. That's cool. And it's not, I don't mean to sound blaming in any way. Most of us don't get a lot of education along that line, including our parents. Well, and most of us don't even notice we're doing it. Exactly. Like, you won't even know, you'll just be like, this is me being right. You don't see that it's like acting out the same thing. <clears throat> um, okay. Thank you for derailing with me. Um, can you take us through, I mean, for somebody that's freaked out by therapy, I know a lot of people that are like, oh, I don't want to do that. Um, just because it feels like, oh, it's going to be exhausting and I don't want to sit on a couch or, or people imagine lying on a couch with someone like looking away from them. Um, so what would, what is the therapy appointment like? What, can you take us through kind of like a generic, you know? Yes. I'm happy to do that. So the first thing is being a little bit anxious is normal because it is it is foreign to sit down with a stranger if you haven't done it before and to talk about you know personal or intimate issues about yourself. So the first thing I would say is that you need to be comfortable before you proceed, that you don't have to do anything or say anything or talk about anything that you don't want to. I would 
as a patient or client, I would ask the clinician questions about training and experience. I would feel mm. comfortable. It's just like anything else. You want to know who they are. If you go to a doctor and they say you need surgery, how many surgeries have you performed? Mm. And if they say two, and you might say, see ya. Yeah. Um, so, so exactly what is their training? What is, do they have any beliefs they want to share with you? That's a good one. Yeah. And, and your comfort is the most important indicator. Um, you might not be super comfortable immediately, but if you have any of those warning signs going on, then listen and maybe shop around because that's what you're looking for, someone you fit with. Mm. So the first session, they're probably going to ask you why you're there. So if you can give a summary, maybe a sentence or two, and then don't open up with everything because that can be overwhelming for you. Mm-hmm. Um, have a sentence or two or you know, five minutes of what you want to talk about. Um, and then they'll probably ask you some more questions, and then you can feel free to ask them questions. But again, you're not, you don't have to answer anything you don't want to. Some people will sit down with a form and do a formal intake form, which. Do you have to fill that out? I was just going to say, well, they they might fill it out while they're talking with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to have, I don't have one in my hand anymore because I've done it so long for so long. I don't need to because I have, I know the questions and I'll, I'll, I'll fill it out for myself later. But I'd like to know that the person who's asking me questions is really organized in their thinking and has a way of approaching um, So that's questions. a good thing. To me, it is. Yeah. Other people find the process of having somebody right in the room with them extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, or it makes, I would imagine it makes you feel like, oh, I'm, that's going on a record, you know? Like, is that going to come back to bite me? Clinicians, meaning psychologists, psychiatrists, licensed clinical social workers, MFTs, I'm pretty sure. Anybody who's licensed in the state of California has to pay attention to the privacy, patient privacy laws. Um, Otherwise, they can lose their license, meaning essentially that you can't share this information with anyone. Okay, that's good to know. Just as a basis. Yes. Um, What would be a reason that somebody would choose to go to therapy? Like, what would be a warning sign or what would be the symptom? I think we can all use some help sometime. None of us got here on our own. So I having, you know, I don't think you have to be broken, although a lot of people come in feeling that way, but feeling like you can't resolve something or you find yourself stuck yourself, stuck in patterns, perhaps with relationships, where maybe if you're a woman and you find yourself involved with a partner who is bossier than you or likes to be controlling or has an alcohol or drug problem. And you find yourself doing that again and again and again, there most likely is something going on on your end where you, it would be helpful for you to look at your part of it so that you can stop doing that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I bet that would be men too. Absolutely. I mean, why you're with a woman who might be domineering or Mm -hmm. depressed or too dependent Mm -hmm. or with a man who's all those things. I mean, whoever you choose for your partner, um, if you're feeling dissatisfied and don't know how to change it, or find yourself repeating patterns, that's a really good time to seek help. Mm. So you can learn other ways to do it and then explore your family of origin issues. There I go again. <laughs> um, to find out why, what it is that's, um, w- that's attracting you to the same type of person. What about if it's like somebody else you know, like your kid or your, uh, a family member? Like, 
what would be a behavior where you'd be like, that person, I should get that person to a therapist? Uh, so that's a good question. If it's a child, um, obviously, and now I'm thinking under 13, 12, some kind of behaviors where it's self-injurious or they're hurting someone else, perhaps by throwing things or beating somebody up or isolating um, when they're in the schoolyard. With teenagers, it's acting out behavior, you know, running away, um, getting in trouble at school, fighting with you, drugs, alcohol. Behavior, it, teenagers are easier um, because you can tell, it looks like there's a problem. Right. And there usually is. Right. Um, and same thing with your friends. If you notice one of your friends uh, or family member um, kind of being different, not themselves, um, maybe withdrawn, maybe more isolated, not as interested in things. Um, that they used to be, you can always suggest it. Not in a, there's something wrong with you kind of way. Right. But you might find this helpful. I did. Right. Um, and now, if I was to say this to somebody, what kind of doctor would I suggest they go to? I have a list of like eight of these things. Um, okay. What, uh, maybe you have to answer this in increments, but... What's the difference between a psychologist, a psychiatrist, an MFD, PhD, PSYD, MALCSW? I don't know if there are more than that. No, I think that's pretty. That's a good place to start. Oh, coaches, um, I think, are popular now. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that coaches have a degree, so I, I can leave that off. Yeah. Um, so a psychiatrist went to medical school, so they have an MD. In those years of residency, um, they, spe they focused on psychiatry. So that means they... They can give meds. Um, they can give meds, and they learned about the mind and the brain and the body. Is that different than a psychologist? Well, psychologists, we don't go to med school. We go to school for a very long time. I mean, I think they're both around seven years, seven to nine, and it's studying, uh, but the things that we study are a bit different in terms of understanding medication, although psychologists, we're all supposed to have a basic idea mm -hmm. of what meds, uh, psychotropic medication is and how they work. Um, if you're going to refer someone, you might want to tell them why. An MFT, a marriage family therapist, uh, specializes in studying um, relationships. So marriage, uh, marital relationships or partnerships, family relationships, um, and therapist is therapist. But it's, it's, it's what I was saying is a good place to start in terms of your relationships with your family and maybe your partner or the person in your life that you're having a trouble with, difficulty with. Um, it sounds almost like that's what they specialize in. Mm. Is there any real difference when it comes down to, like, if you're shopping for a therapist, it, could you potentially get the same thing from a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and an MFT? Or do you th would you, like, say that there are general differences in the way that they approach things? I think it depends on who you're asking. I think that there is a big difference in training and practice amongst all of these degrees. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will say it's the same. There are some really, really talented people out there that I've met that have, that are licensed clinical social workers who have their MSW, and they're brilliant. They just couldn't go to school for nine years because they had a family. It's, it's different. The techniques are di uh, different. The approaches, the way of thinking about how problems are formulated and um, solutions and how to approach changing things is very different to me. Um, if a person is to go to a psychiatrist, are they going to get therapy or are they going to be 
basically given meds. It depends. Uh, some psychiatrists don't want to do that kind of work and only like to do medication. A lot of psychiatrists love to do um, talk therapy and will do that if medication isn't indicated or may do both. It's about shopping around and hopefully getting a name of someone from someone you know or who has been to them is the best way to find someone, but you have to shop around. A lot of people in my field <laughs> have a hard time socially. Let's say I was a, an analyst, meaning I have a, an MD and I went to school for analysis, more, the more traditional type that you um, mentioned, Sarah, at the like beginning. Freud. Yeah, where you're sitting, you're on a couch, lying on a couch, and the person is behind you um, taking notes. So there are many reasons why Freud set it up that way, but you might also want to think about why would somebody want to sit behind me while I'm talking? Yeah. I mean, it seems kind of, I would probably be uncomfortable with that. I would too. Right. <laughs> so what, who is the person that wants to do this? Are they more comfortable without, you know, looking me in the eye? Right. Those kind of things. Yeah. Like think of them like a regular person. And then other uh, psychologists that I know um, don't, speak much at all and that's a lot of the training. that I've heard of like a lot of people tell me that that's what their experience in therapy was and it drove them insane where they were like why the hell am I here are you just gonna sit there like I'm just gonna talk what the fuck am I here for and I feel like that for a lot of people is probably very confusing like you're paying this person that's a professional and then you're talking and then they're not saying anything but that's a method it is and it takes a great deal of training to be able to tolerate that um, and there is a lot, there's, you know, there is thinking, there's a school of thought behind that. Mm. Um, and I didn't find that super helpful. And that's not how I practice for the same reason that you just mentioned it. Yeah. I, found, I felt like talking to myself was what I had kind of done. Yeah. Um, thinking th things through on my own and trying to problem solve. And I, I was getting stuck. So I wanted someone to talk with me. And so there are people who don't speak very much. So it's up to you to decide. Some people love it. Some, it's, you know, Patients do? Not, yeah, absolutely. Because they'll go in and have somebody completely focused on them and listening. Complete, total focused attention where you can just talk. That's, oh. Because, I mean, if you think about how much attention did you have in your life? Did you have those needs filled? That's weird. It's interesting. Yeah, it's almost like a, they have those things called conversation clubs in uh, Koreatown. It's literally all the, it's not prostitution. It's just a bar where women listen to you when you talk about your day. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's like, but it's filling the same need. I was like, I just want to talk to somebody about my my day and how well I did. I did not know about that. <laughs> but but see, like, it's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Totally. I mean, obviously there's more of a clinical, I mean, the person who you're with um, <laughs> is focused and will give you um, feedback when they believe it's appropriate. Right. Um, but there really is something about having that kind of focused attention that can be extremely helpful, depending, mm. again, on what happened in your past. That makes a lot of sense. What about coaching? Like, what are your opinions? Oh, what do I? My, okay, my thoughts Yeah, because it's trendy. I mean, I technically am a coach, but I don't like saying coach because I don't like the word because <laughs> it just sounds cheesy. Uh, so I call it one-on-ones. But, I, I mean, I think coaching is now like the wave of, you know, I'm a lifestyle coach, or I'm a past life medium coach, or I, literally I've talked to one of those. It's very cool, actually. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what do you think? Of, you don't have to say of lifestyle coaches, but 
What's your opinion? Well, I mean, there's a reason that it's popular, um, extremely popular. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you were saying before that you don't want to go to someone who's not saying anything to you. Coaches, my understanding is I have not been to see one. My understanding is that they will give you suggestions and help you lay out a roadmap to get where you want to go. Right. Very like, I Googled it, very goal-oriented, focus on the present, and it's more about uh, your your aspirations versus like, you know, tweaking past problems. But in, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, it's one of those Wild West things where it could be anything because <laughs> it's not like there is no real definition. Um, also, there are a lot of people who are coaches that I'm like, you should not be giving advice. Uh, <laughs> you're just doing this because your pottery business failed. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, not really. Um, okay. What about... CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Let's say you say to yourself, oh, I'm a loser. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stupid. I, I'm so nervous. I can't think straight or things that are really negative. So, so the point about CBT is that you need to change those thoughts. So you need to say to yourself, I'm a winner. Mm. I'm just, you know, I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. I'm going to be successful. I can do this So it's thing. like mantras? Kind of? So, yeah, exactly. Yes. Is that the, f- the core of it? That's uh, a nice way to say it. Of CBT? Yes, that it's about changing it's your... Changing thinking. So, well, there's two things. So it's changing your thinking and then changing your behavior along with it. So if you think to yourself, I'm, gonna, um, I'm a loser, I'm never going to make it in life, I'll never get anywhere, I'm going to go to the bar, um, and I'm not talking about an alcoholic, but I'm just saying you're going to go to the bar and have a couple of drinks every night, that's probably not, not going to help you change the way you think about yourself. Right. So you might want to think, I'm a winner. I can do it. I'm going to make it. Um, and I'm going to go to the gym. Or I'm going to go meditate. Or I'm going to get together with a friend and take a walk. Mm. Things that reinforce the message that you're giving to yourself, not, not take away from it. Yeah, it's almost like training. Marathon training, only for your brain. Um, what, I don't even know if this is a thing, but it was on Google. Behavioral modification therapy? Well, it's very similar to cognitive behavior, but the cognition piece of it is removed. So it's almost like fake it till you make it. Um, mm. Like you're just going to, every day I'm going to, I don't feel um, like an appealing enough person. Uh, I, I turn people off for some reason. But every day you're going to brush your teeth, comb your hair, put on a nice outfit, and put your best, you know, shiny self out there and keep doing the same behavior until you start to believe it. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Why? I feel like I've done that. Oh, I've, sure. I've, <laughs> but, yeah, I didn't, ha- it didn't have a name. <laughs> sure. And then you eventually start to believe it because yeah. the experiences that you're having are reinforcing the message that, oh, people respond well to me. Yeah. That's... Um, the, like, smiling when you're not happy, and then it makes you happy. That's cool. It's true. DBT. So, so far, there's CBT, BMT, and DBT. What's DBT? I love DBT. Dialectical behavior therapy. The dialectical piece means that someone is instructing you in how to use these tools that the dialectical behavior therapist, um, the person who, who came up with this idea, is teaching you. So, so for example, um, emotional regulation. 
Uh, many of us become dysregulated. I love that word. Me too. Uh, dysregulated, overwhelmed with our emotions, um, and we have no idea why. Preach on. So, <laughs> totally. I mean, I think I know what you're talking about now because I love. I have a book about this, and I loved it too. Sorry, go on. The DBT manual. Yeah. yeah. So, so for example, yeah, we can all. We all. I think most of us know the Venn diagram, mm-hmm. and when where the circles um, overlap, and there's a in the middle, probably maybe I shouldn't describe this. Oh, wait. <laughs> I've put this in podcasts before. You have? The wise mind exercise? Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. a DBT thing? That's a DBT. Oh. Well, there you go. So Sarah knows everything. Um. <laughs> no, I didn't know what it was from. But so dialectal behavioral therapy is pretty much exercises in order to help regulate yourself. Yes. Is that- to help regulate and help manage your emotional state. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just, it's skill-based. And when I look at this, at the manual, I think, why didn't we all learn how to do this? I mean, yeah. some people have parenting where your parent will maybe say, you have to calm down and, you know, we'll do A, B, and C to help you figure this out. But I think a lot of us didn't get that. Mm-hmm. And when we feel anxious or sad or upset, it sort of takes everything over. And then we don't know what to do with it from there. Right. So DBT helps you learn skills with which to manage your dysregulation. I will put a link in the blog version or in the post so people can find it, the DBT manual. Um, May I say something? Yeah. I just want to, you might want to mention or know, um, or if you're looking into this, DBT, Marsha Lenahan is a psychologist who came, this was her uh, creation, and she's just a, a brilliant person who went through a lot herself, and her history is very interesting. She's very open about it. You can probably find it anywhere. Is she the one that went back to speak at the hospital that, like, the psychiatric hospital? Yeah. I don't know. Actually, I never heard that. I, I'm pretty – well, maybe I'm thinking of a different woman. There was a woman that had, like – I believe it was schizophrenia or di- bipolar disorder. Or, or borderline personality border, disorder. Borderline, blending all of them together. Yeah. Borderline personality disorder. She was, like, really not helped by the hospital she was put in. And then she was asked to come back there as a professional and speak on her methods. And she was like, P.S., you're the guys that screwed me up when I was here as, like, a young person. And they were like, we're embarrassed. I just thought that was amazing. It that is she amazing. was, like, asked to speak on this, you know at this hospital, like, as this renowned professional. And she was like, yeah, you guys. <laughs> what an opportunity. Yeah. And what courage it must have taken for her to do that. Yeah. I'm making it sound like it was sassy and mean, but it was probably not at all. No, I just it was like, was. <laughs> I mean, and then again, I mean, I don't want to defend what was happening to her, but that's what people did at that time. Right. People didn't really know about borderline personality disorder and some of the other things. They were, med- they were managed through medication. And a borderline personality was someone who was kind of written off as too disturbed to be helped. Right. So she's amazing. Okay. Psychotherapy. What is psychotherapy? Is psychotherapy just mean therapy? For, for a psychologist, a psychotherapist means it's someone who's going to look again into your family of origin and your relationship dynamics to, figure, to help you figure out what's happening currently in your life. Exploring your past and then bringing that into the present. Mm, okay. Is family could psychotherapy be also family therapy? Well, family therapy uh, it's part of it. Um but psychotherapy in my experience has been much more individualized 
Because family therapy is exactly what it sounds like. The family comes in. So it's hard to have one person really exploring their own experience and then sharing it with their family if you're working on family dynamics. Mm. It can be part of it. You can be split off from the family and do separate work. Mm, okay. But family therapy is an amazing, amazing tool to help families get beyond wherever they're stuck and help establish better relationships. Because most of us know families can have difficulties. Every family has problems. And the degree to which they're resolved, it varies. And I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people, didn't have resolution in their families. Right. Um, you know, or, you know, mom was screaming or dad was screaming and I would go out and slam the door and there was always fighting and I grew up that way. Right. Um, and there was never a change and people didn't expect a change. So what would be an, a circumstance when someone would go to family therapy? Like if one person's having a problem or is it when everybody in the family, like what's the symptom that gets people there? Well, oftentimes it can be a, a, a bad teenager, a child who's identified as a problem child. Right. Um, so that's what we call the identified patient, the IP. And the child is just ask, acting out what's happening in the family. So again, teenagers can be obvious, which is fantastic, but you might be wrong. About, you might need to meet the family to figure out what it is they're acting out. Kids will do anything to get their family help, help um, and will do a lot of damage to themselves to get someone to pay attention. So let's say you have uh, Johnny who's going to jail every, you know, six weeks. He's getting arrested for a petty theft or, you know, shoplifting over and over and over again. Somebody might say, maybe the cop would say, you need to go to therapy because something's going on here as a family. We think it's hard for an individual to go. It's very challenging to get a family in. It's amazing yeah. when they do come in, but it's hard because not, not everyone's at the same place at the same time in terms of readiness. Right. Wait a minute. That's nuts. So if a teen, so this might be too broad, but like if a teenager is acting out, is that always just the result of needing attention from the family or something they're acting out about their family? No. Oh. No, I mean, it can be their own problem, but it's just, I, I think it's essential to look at that right. when you're talking to someone. Because if it is a family problem, you can talk with the teenager till the cows come home and it might not change because whatever is happening at home is still happening. What about... Couples therapy, I think, is obvious, but maybe is there anything else relevant about couples therapy? Or I guess what what is couples therapy generally? Uh, generally, it's to help two people um, resolve their problems. So it's a little bit like we talked about earlier in terms of psychotherapy. It, to me, where you come from matters, but not everybody wants to do that kind of work. A lot of people want help with conflict. Conflict management, help us get through this one argument, and that's it. Um, sometimes people will stick around to do the deeper work so that they can really learn how not to do this in their life over right. and over again. It depends on what you want. I find that most people that go to couples therapy, or a lot of them, want the person, they want the doctor to tell their, their spouse or significant other that they are right, you know? Like oh, they want to be uh -huh. in front of somebody so they can be like, see, I'm right, right? Like that's their main goal. <laughs> and and if you're with a therapist who does that, you should leave. 
Yeah. <laughs> because it's always 50-50 and the person that you're working with needs to treat it as such. <gasps> Ooh, good call. Takes so, two to tango is true. Sorry. So what should a person do if they go to a therapist and they feel like the therapist is siding with their the other person? Say something about it and um, see if there's an improvement. You know, I'm not comfortable with this. I feel like you're siding. And see if it happens again and then this isn't working. And if a person goes to a therapist, can they become their couple's therapist? Generally, no. Um, and this is, again, where the degrees vary. Um, I can only speak as a psychologist where we're trained that that's actually, it can be very harmful to a person, um, to a couple. If you do that, let's just say I'm working with a woman and I see her, you know, for six months and then she decides to bring in her her partner and the therapist says, you know, I can be unbiased. I'm fair. I do this all the time. There's just no way that that's true. <laughs> There's no way that can be true that you can be unbiased because you always have, you already have something. Yeah. And the other person will probably suffer for it. Mm. But not everyone agrees with that. Mindfulness-based therapies. I'm a huge fan of mindfulness everything. Um, what, what are mindfulness-based therapies? Well, this is probably inappropriate, but may I ask what you like about it? Um, I just find that my brain, the majority of the suffering comes from, at least in my life, just I think it's partly just having a smartphone. The majority of um, the chaos or, or lack of ability to uh, make any steps in positive directions for me comes about when my brain won't shut up or when my brain is like filled with junk and I'm just like, you know, those crazy thought patterns. It's like it's, you know, gotten off the leash and it's going uh, AWOL. So when I'm able to s sort of come back to like the ability to c control my own mind and just at least empty it, um, I find that I f I'm so much more able to relieve myself of any kind of anxiety or overwhelm or it's like it's, it just starts with getting back to kind of like that balanced, calm state. Well, so thank you for answering that because you answered the question, um, <laughs> I think in part because you're talking about having your mind be calm and almost empty. I think that's mm -hmm. hard for most of us, but to really focus your mind on not having thoughts, mm -hmm. which is a little bit similar to the cognitive um, behavioral therapy where you're trying to change your thoughts. But in mindfulness-based therapies, you're trying to focus on the moment, not your thoughts. Mm. So it's change, if it's mindful, it's all about being in the present. This is my understanding about being in the present, not in the past, because if you're in your head in the past, it's either about the past or the future, not the present generally. Right. Um, so those therapies can be fantastic. And as you said, they can be great for anxiety and for depression and overall functioning. Yeah. I do feel like also uh, the majority of worry and pain and sadness come from being somewhere else, like mentally being stuck in the future or in the past. And so if you can just practice not being there, it's like it automatically relieves a lot of that stuff. May I add something? Yeah. Um, sometimes uh, due to trauma, it can be almost impossible to get our minds to shut off. And that's because of something called neuroplasticity and our brains sort of become stuck and not as fluid as they usually can be. So that's something that is, I hope that makes sense, but much more can be much more challenging. And mindfulness therapy can help a lot 
but sometimes people need to do some other kinds of trauma work um, in conjunction. Yeah. No, totally. I I say that now, but I don't think I would have been able to do it however many years ago. I d- like, I feel like there are a lot of people that read self-help books or try and practice yoga, and they're like, that would be cool if I could do that. Like, if that really did work, that would be great, but my brain doesn't work like that. So that's when uh, talk therapy would be helpful in conjunction. Talk therapy or some other kinds of, uh, this might be outside of today's discussion, but there are other trauma-focused therapies that we can discuss at some other point. What about the next thing on my list, which is emotional freedom techniques or EFT or tapping? I know very little about this. Um, my understanding that it is about, uh, it's about using acupressure points, but instead of using needles or pressure, it's tapping on those points. I have heard uh, some people super into it, other people super not into it. I am totally on the fence. I mean, it makes sense to me because I believe ac- acupuncture works, but I, I don't know. It's one of those things you look on the internet and you see the charts and I'm like, that looks kind of like a hoax. Um, I think that anything that comes along that people are excited about, it's great exploring new techniques or approaches, but you have to be careful if everybody's saying this is it, this is the answer, it's probably not. Right. I know. That's the thing I reacted to was like, is it that easy, though? That just seems like, you know, a lobotomy I can understand would be effective instantly, but I don't know if this would be effective instantly. How do you feel about online therapy chat sites. I mean, there's a lot of them, and I don't know anybody that's used one. It seems a little bit, I don't know, risky is my first reaction. Well, when you say online therapy, do you mean um, like Skype where you can actually see the therapist? What do do you mean specifically? Because I think there are different ways of talking to people online. Well, there are are a lot of sites that offer kind of anonymous chats as a, a form of therapy, and so it'll be like chat rooms or sometimes they're Skype. Sometimes they're just, um, you know, like instant messaging. I, w- I don't know. I can't imagine myself doing that. But I'm, I guess if somebody is looking for any kind of help, something might be better than nothing. But I don't know how they, they find their, their practitioners or anything I, like I, that. I hear that you would be wary of that. I yeah. um, I would say the same thing. Um, there, I guess I have two things to say about that. You never know who it is you're talking with and if they right. actually know what they're talking about. Right. And then you also don't get a feel. I, I know people do therapy on Skype for a lot of reasons, so at least you can see the person. So that's something. Um, but if you're in the room with someone, you can really feel what's happening in a way that I don't believe you can online. Yeah. Um, and also your gut and also just if if you as the client feel like something's up with this person or I'm uncomfortable. Right. I don't know that you can always pick that up online. Totally. But for people who have serious intimacy issues, I can see why that would be appealing because then you don't even have to look at the person. Mm-hmm. So do your homework. Yes, <laughs> please. Um this is probably an impossible question to answer, but it's something that I would have asked before I start started therapy. Like, it's something that I would have wanted to know. If somebody was to do, let's say, talk therapy, any kind of psychology, what is the expected length of time? Like, are, how long is, am I going to have to stay in therapy? Like, Sounds like torture. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the barrier of entry yeah. is like, I don't want to go in there. It just seems like it's, like, insurmountable. Um, and then how many times are you supposed to go, like, in what increment of time? 
Okay, that's a that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> ultimately, it's up to you. There's so many different. So ways. no one can make you go. No one can make you go. People can suggest how long they think it would be helpful for you. Um, and what I mean by that is you're in it for three months and you f- you're feeling better. Um, and you're that you've talked about and solved the problem that you initially came in for. I have a problem with a coworker and I fixed it and I want to leave. So the person that you're working with, I'm just going to say a psychologist might say that's great. Or, I mean, it makes sense if you want to do that. Or we can talk deeper and um, look back into your childhood and your other relationships with your family to see if there's anything that you want to um, explore that might be contributing this. And some people are like, no way, I'm out of here. Other people um, would like to do that. And then you have to be careful, too, of therapists who don't want you to leave. I know. I feel like I know a lot of people that just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're forced to do this, but I, that they just kind of stay in therapy kind of for enjoyment, you know, forever. Or for, or for ha- to have a person. Yeah. Um, depending, again, on who you grew up with or your current circumstances. If you didn't have, let's say, a parent who was ideal. Well, I mean, most parents aren't ideal. They're good, <laughs> good enough. But sometimes having that through your life can be a great thing. On and off, if you need to um, keep, you know, establish a relationship and then terminate when you feel like you want to, but you can keep the door open and go back. Mm. But psychologists are trained to terminate. I don't know that that sounds like a great. Oh my god, that sounds like the Terminator. <laughs> no, but it it means that we need to think about because this is in our client's best interest to think about ending therapy. Um, because the person isn't there. You're not coming in for me. You're not coming in just so I can earn a living. Right. You're coming in for specific problems um, and solutions. And I need to think about when to se- suggest that it, it, it could be time or we're close to the time when it might not be helpful anymore. That I feel like would be better. I mean, that would be ideal if everybody did that. Every therapist did that. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, though, about somebody that wants just to have a person in their life if they never had, like, a consistent or stable person. That, like, would be such a nice feeling. Um, but there is something so profound about, like, there is an end. There's an end when you are healthy and you can fly. You know, like, like that in itself is, like, makes the the whole process so much more, you know, symbolic and and it gives it a like different kind of meaning to me and i feel like that's a i like that i like that a lot um how many times oh. does a person go on average <laughs> yeah and also how long i don't think we talked about that oh uh, yeah um that's a tough one uh, usually once a week is where people start it depends on your finances and your time people who go see an md who may be an analyst or a psychoanalyst I also know some psychologists who are analysts. They want you to come two or three times a week. It's a huge commitment. Yeah. So it depends on what you feel like you can do, how much time you want to spend. Most people only can do once a week. I don't know. I I think on average six months, um, I would expect six months probably that's the short term. I would think that. Otherwise, a super quick fix probably isn't going to stick. Right. How much would – this is in – in Los Angeles. <laughs> How much does it cost? I know that, or let's, I guess, base it off of insurance. If somebody's got insurance, like what's the, the average rate that a person can charge? Well, if it's insurance, it, the rate is established by the insurance company. So you would be charged your copay. Mm. 
So the rate is something that's set between the professional and the insurance company. So you might not find it. You know, let's say they'll pay $86 and then you pay 20 Right. So then the, the therapist gets $106. Right. Um, which is pretty low for this area. Uh, a lot of people with degrees starting with, uh, I mean, people who don't have a, I think there's a certificate for coaching, um, will charge $200. I've heard people. An hour? Yeah. I mean, I've heard people with a lot of just varying degrees or not a lot of training charging a lot of money. Damn. What's the low range for therapy and what's the high range? The 50, 50 an hour. Um, if I'm paying out of pocket. If you're say. paying out of pocket, I think that would be pretty much at a clinic where they have a sliding scale. Or maybe you can find a therapist who does who has a slot for somebody who can't pay because mm. we're again taught that that's and encouraged to do something like that for right. everybody should have access, not just the rich. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and then $300 to $500. I mean, Holy shit. An hour. <laughs> um, I think I heard about someone charging, I read about it a thousand dollars, but <gasps> it was for the whole day. Um, wow. Yeah. So it was whole day, which is, I mean, I'm not even sure what that is, but um, I'm not saying it's inappropriate. I just don't know anything about that. Group therapy, what are, where would that be practiced? Um, anywhere. By You mean who would do it? Yeah, and like how do you even find a group? Just go online and put in group therapy in, in your area. And what's great about that is that you can really learn about how you interact with other people. So do people bring in their group or do you just meet up with strangers? Yeah, you, well, the, the therapist, they'll have a group and then pick people who should get, be in the group. So you could be combined with people you've never met before? That's sort of the point. Interesting. Okay, now I'm understanding so many scenes in movies <laughs> where, you know, you have, like, all these different looking people. Any other recommendations you would have for somebody that's just starting the process of self-work? Like, they know they want to make some ma major change in themselves. Well, I would say um, keep it up. And it, it can be overwhelming, but it's also so rewarding. I'm going to say something cliche, but um, it's you're worth it. It's really, it can be so beneficial to engage in this process. Therapy cannot fix all of your problems, but you really can learn how to approach yourself differently and how to approach relationships differently. It is so worth it. I say give it a shot. Yay. Good, good luck. <laughs> Smile. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.